I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word as a sign of reverence to God and His Word. We're going to be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 6. If you have your journal with you, you could go to page 32. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm here. This is the word of the Lord. Do not store up for yourself treasures and earth, where much and vernium destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where the much and vermin do not destroy it, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes uh, are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the earth. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father fits them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will, give, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, familia. At TVC, I need a little bit more espresso, so I need it from you this morning. Well, good morning, familia. There it is. I like that. Well, like Hannibal said, my name is Eric Solomon, and I'm grateful for the chance to be with you this morning to open up God's Word together. For those of you who don't know me, I get the privilege of serving in our extended church family as the pastor of our TVC congregation. And before I get going, I want to pass along their greetings and their gratitude. Your, your extended familia up in Streamwood is really grateful to call you brothers and sisters in Christ. And before we dive into the passage, there's a, a prayer that I like to pray at TVC, so I want to ask you to take a moment to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray Psalm 19 back to you in worship. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts in this moment be pleasing, be an act of worship in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
Amen. All right, let's worship together. This morning, God's word invites us back into a, a famous sermon that Jesus preached. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been making our way through this Sermon on the Mount, listening to King Jesus describe the kind of people he is making, the kind of kingdom he is announcing. We've gone to the heights of the Beatitudes with Jesus as he describes blessings that do more than talk about happiness, but but shape this countercultural character of his people. On top of that mountain of blessing, we received from Jesus a calling to be influencers, if you will, to be salt and light and actually make a difference by living counterculturally in a world that is bent on its own destruction. But with that high calling, Jesus brought us down into the depths of our hearts, describing how deep kingdom righteousness must go, but not before he paves the way to those depths with his gracious righteousness. Jesus explains, I did not come to get rid of the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Because one thing we have to get right about Jesus is that even though he is a servant, he always goes first. He always leads the way. His grace always precedes our obedience. Kingdom righteousness is a grace-filled righteousness. You see, Jesus doesn't just go first as our example, but more importantly, through his uh, uh, death and resurrection, he is the one who enables kingdom living by making a way back into the kingdom. But Jesus is clear. Grace-filled righteousness, righteousness that calls for repentance before it calls for obedience, is still righteousness. And so Jesus is so intent on getting down deep into our hearts that he not only talks about our sins like like lust and anger, but he actually goes all the way into our spiritual practices, warning us against the ways that our hearts twist these spiritual practices, twist them like, like giving and praying and fasting, twist them against our king. Because you see, Jesus is not about just getting us to do the right thing. He is about getting us to do all things rightly. In other words... He is not just about changing our behavior, but changing our desires. So Jesus goes to the depths of our hearts in order to show us what we are really like and and explains how far he is willing to go to make us right again because he loves us. And so we step back into the Sermon on the Mount to see just how much he loves us, how he warns us, and what kind of life he is calling us into as his kingdom people I want us to remember also that when Jesus is preaching, he is preaching to two audiences at the same time. He is preaching to the disciples that are sitting at his feet who have repented, who have committed to him and to his kingdom. But he is also preaching to a crowd that surrounds that's still trying to figure out who this Jesus actually is. And so as we listen, whether we are already disciples that are committed to the way... Or if we're listening more like the crowd trying to figure out who this Jesus is this morning, Jesus has something for us, not just to fill our minds, but to challenge our hearts. And he does that this morning in this text by offering us two ways, the way of the kingdom or the way of the world. Let me show you what I mean in this specific text. Here's how we're going to be walking through our text today. You see, Jesus is driving his point home in these verses using four different contrasts that we're going to be looking at each in turn as Jesus reveals more and more of our hearts peeling back layers. He starts in verses 19 through 21 and he contrasts two treasures, treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. Which will you pursue? 
But in typical Jesus-like fashion, he doesn't just leave it there because he wants to peel back another layer in verses 22 through 23 where he starts to contrast two conditions. Almost as if he is saying that the answer to the pursuit question is found in the answer to another question. Is your eyesight, or, or more accurately with the cultural metaphor Jesus is making in these verses, your heart sight healthy or unhealthy? But Jesus, like he does, keeps going deeper and deeper, peeling another layer, saying, listen, the answer to whether your heart is healthy is really a question about who you serve. And so in verse 24, he contrasts two masters. Who you serve leads to the condition of your heart, which ultimately determines which treasure you pursue. And then having touched on what I might call a raw spot, our wise and wonderful counselor looks us in the eye with compassion and, and says, listen, who you serve and how you are and what you pursue, all of that, it shapes how you live. It shapes your whole life. And so in verses 25 through 34, Jesus wisely, kindly, but pretty directly with beautiful imagery contrasts two postures, two attitudes, two ways of life, a, a life of worry or a life of trust? Which path will you take? With which posture will shape your life? And so step by step, Jesus takes us deeper into our hearts. He, he touches on a nerve not to condemn, but to convict and with compassion to draw us further into the good life of his kingdom. So two treasures, two conditions, two masters, and two postures. That's where we're going and that's how we'll get there for those of you who take notes and want to keep up with me. Let's dive in. Let's listen to these contrasts as the Spirit goes to work. Jesus begins and he contrasts two treasures. What comes to mind when you hear that word, treasure? I hear that word and I think uh, pirates and maps where X marks the spot. Sometimes in my more childish Saturday morning of cartoons, I think about Scrooge McDuck diving into a huge pile of gold. But what do you think when you hear that word, treasure, coming out of Jesus' mouth? And might I suggest that you not be so quick to answer. Before you answer, let me encourage you to resist the impulse to move past the material to some kind of spiritual answer too quickly. What do you treasure? Look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Let me start with the obvious here. Jesus is giving us a command. Do not store up treasures on earth. What's not so obvious is what he means by treasures on earth. Too often I think we read that and we struggle because we tend to define treasure with ourselves as the reference point. Here's what I mean. Treasures on earth, in our minds, are what anybody that's better off than us has. We slip into a comparison game. And then we miss what Jesus is doing because Jesus is not comparing. He's actually busy at work on our hearts contrasting. You see, to us, treasures on earth might be a, a bigger house, a different spouse, better kids. No one would say that. A boat or two, more zeros in the bank account, a, a, a nicer job, a better neighborhood, a more diversified portfolio, more, better. We tend to distort the mirror that Jesus is placing in front of us and we try to turn it into a window to look through it at all the other people. Instead of looking in 
and examining our own hearts with the words that Jesus places before us. Let me ask, what do you treasure? What do you value above all else? What are the order of your priorities? Kent Hughes has this really great line in a book that he writes defining this. He says, if, if anything in this world is everything to you, that's an earthly treasure. Why does Jesus warn us against the accumulation of earthly treasures? It's not because earthly treasures are bad in and of themselves, but I think it's because he's trying to tell us that earthly treasures make bad investments. They don't last. They are vulnerable. An exterminator, a security system, your endless supply of poison and traps and baseball bats under the bed, none of it will protect your treasure well enough. Inflation rates and market crashes and the whispers of a recession, they all come creeping in while we're busy trying to stand guard and we don't even see that, that our, our treasure is busy eating away at our hearts. And so Jesus tells us, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. A different kind of treasure in a different kind of safe where, where investments pay dividends for eternity because it's not about how much we have, it is about who we are. What kind of person are we becoming? The kind of person that's blessed by Jesus, that grows in love and understanding, that's being shaped in secret by God? Or are we busy being distorted in public by our self-righteousness? Distorted in private, do we hunger and thirst for more rather than the kingdom righteousness Jesus calls us to? What kind of person are we becoming? How do you, how do you spend your money? What do you daydream about? What would you do anything to try and avoid? What's your vision of the good life? Is it God's kingdom? Or is it something you see on some account on IG or a, a, a neighbor or Hollywood or HGTV or whatever other thing we try to convince ourselves is really the good life? Let me show you something that I think clarifies our passage here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says through Paul's pen something I, I, I think that is, is not just a command to tell us not to do and, and change our lives, but, but to call us to something better. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, moth, vermin, thieves, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen, Jesus is not against owning a house or working hard opening a bank account, or budgeting, or saving, or investing, or enjoying. He is not telling us to avoid wealth or get rid of it. What he is saying is avoid putting your hope in it. See your wealth as a gift from God to be enjoyed. And so instead of putting your hope in it, you hope in God. And you demonstrate that hope by being rich in righteousness, by being generous. And even in this text by a uh, keeping what I call kindergarten rules, willing to share. 
By doing this, we lay up what? Treasures for eternity. By doing this, Jesus says, we, we take hold of true life rather than the false life that wealth and riches and any other earthly treasure promises. Why? Because back in our text in verse 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I find it very interesting that in this passage, Jesus doesn't say what you treasure, but where. Because where you treasure reveals what you treasure. Bank accounts are for dollars, vaults are for gold bars, piggy banks are for coins, but heaven is for real treasure. Heaven won't hold our, uh, our Bitcoin or our investment portfolio. It won't take care of our 401k or cash our paycheck week to week because heaven is a treasury of righteousness, of kingdom living, taking all the things that try to be gods in our lives and making them into goods that serve God and draw other people to God. Familia, what do we treasure? Well, what occupies our thoughts when our minds wander? What keeps us up at night? What makes up the markings on the ruler by which you measure other people against? What makes us worry or generates fear just at the thought of losing it? All the thoughts that just came to mind as I was asking that question, the thoughts that might have pinched your heart, especially the ones you tried to rush past, let me ask you, how do you bring those to Jesus that he might continue to shape your heart with his? teaching you to value what he values, putting everything in the right order in its proper place. Treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? That's our first contrast. But listen, that's just the first layer. Because Jesus is about to get a little bit deeper, peeling away layers with this second contrast. Contrast number two, two conditions. How's your eyesight? Jesus uses a, a new illustration to make his point, but it really isn't about eyes that see in 2020. It is about a heart that does, a healthy heart. And treasures on earth, especially money, well, they make for a really bad set of glasses. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You see, it's not enough for the light to shine, Jesus tells us. We need to be able to see that light we need healthy eyes. Using this illustration of light and darkness, I think Jesus is setting up a uh, he who has ears to hear situation here. Healthy eyes, they see the world truly. The kingdom is what gives us 2020 vision. But if your eyes are unhealthy, well, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Unhealthy eyes, on the other hand, they, well, they struggle with reality, like, like trying to move around in the darkness. Will we see life as God describes it, believing that it really is better to store up treasures in heaven? Or will we keep trying to walk around in the dark, building up treasures on earth? You see, living in the kingdom, it actually changes the way we see the world around us. It marks us with God's generosity in his gospel as well as a, a trust that the same king whose riches overflowed to us in Jesus will take care of us no matter what. And let me tell you, that reality, well, that reality supercharges generosity. Because we no longer see the world as divided between haves and have-nots. 
or, or as if the world is ruled by these principles of scarcity, of, of not enough. You see, in God's kingdom, there's always more than enough. He is a God of abundance that will provide for every single need. Will we see that with healthy or unhealthy eyes? Trusting in God to store up treasures in heaven or worried that there won't be enough for us and so it makes us look out for ourselves above everybody else. Two treasures, two conditions. What we treasure in the condition of our perspective, our eyes, it reveals our hearts. You see, Jesus starts with these two contrasts, but but his scalpel doesn't even stop there because he's going to cut deeper and get to a third contrast. What's really behind the greed or the fear or the worries that plague us? Why do we pursue this or that? Well, that's a question that's answered by who are we serving? You see, Jesus now contrasts two masters because who we serve determines how we live. And no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There are, in other words, no dual citizens in God's kingdom. Keeping one foot in his kingdom and another in the kingdom of the almighty dollar. We cannot serve God and money. What we treasure and how we see reveals more than our heart condition, it reveals who we serve. And Jesus leaves no room for maybes or whatabouts. It is not possible to live life committed to God and love money at the same time. And when it comes down to it, who we serve is always revealed by how we live. You can say as much as you want that you serve God, but how you live will really show it especially when things get tight, especially when our confidence in the king is shaken by our circumstances. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones illustrates this point with the story, and he writes it like this. He says, a farmer one day went with great joy to report to his wife that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. And he said, you know, I have suddenly had a feeling and an impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, And when the time comes, we'll sell one and keep the proceeds, and we will sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. And so very wisely, his wife asked him which he was going to dedicate to the Lord. No need to bother about that now, he said. We'll treat them both the same way, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say. Well, you can imagine what happened. In a few months, the man entered his kitchen, and he was very unhappy, and so his wife asked him what was troubling him, and he answered, Well, I have bad news, honey. The the Lord's calf is dead. She scratched her head. She said, but you hadn't decided which one was the Lord's calf. He said, oh, yes, I'd always decided it was the white one. And it's the white one that's died. The Lord's calf is dead. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize on is our commitment to God's work. It is always the Lord's calf that dies first. How do we know money is our master? What do we turn to when life gets hard, when the bank account is tight, when the economy dips and inflation rises? What happens to our kingdom commitments?
Now listen very carefully. I want to be careful and clear here, familia. I am not encouraging us to ignore the economy. I am not encouraging us to pretend that our paychecks are bigger than they actually are. You see, my extended family still wears the scars of prosperity gospel and money seeds that preachers demanded as true commitments to the kingdom. What I am suggesting is a diagnostic. Do we start to fudge on our calling to be generous? Our commitment to God's kingdom through our finances, our allegiance to the king when life is hard, or even worse, when our hearts get a little greedy. Every time the new toy gets on the market or a new investment opportunity comes up. In other words, when things change, does our kingdom commitment change or do we stand firm in our allegiance to our king? But Jesus still isn't done with us. You see, he's been working towards a point this whole time, and it's not a point that's just about money. As Jesus peels back the layers, Jesus transitions from two masters, or sorry, two treasures, two postures, eventually to two masters, and then to these two ways of life, these two postures. Because money is not the real problem. Our hearts are. How do we see what's going on in the depths of our hearts? Well, Jesus is about to tell us it's by seeing what comes out, by being confronted by the posture we take as circumstances change. Is it a posture of worry or a posture of trust? Let me show you what Jesus has been working towards in this final section of our text, starting with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. A few verses later, verse 31, do not worry. And then one more time again, verse 34, therefore, do not worry. Three times Jesus repeats himself here, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Now some translations actually translate this as, as don't be anxious. Listen, if Jesus is saying this three times, I think we should pay attention. In fact, we should also pay attention to how he got there. You see, Jesus transitions to this fourth and final contrast with a very specific word, therefore. And so peeling back every layer, who you serve, and how you are, and what you treasure. Underneath it all, here is what Jesus is calling us to, a non-anxious way of life. What reveals our hearts more than our giving statements or our bank accounts is how we posture ourselves. Not just what happens when everything hits the fan, but what does the daily posture of our heart look like? Is worry or trust the innermost disposition of our souls? Now, I can imagine how that question might hit some of you. We, we read Jesus' words and we hear condemnation rather than compassion. You hear me talk about worry and trust and you hear just another preacher telling you for the, you can't remember how many times to just get over it. Why do you worry so much? How, why are you so anxious? Don't you have faith in God? Familia, for anyone who deals with anxiety, from the minor worries in the day-to-day to the major spirals of what-ifs that spiral into darkness that you can't seem to get yourself out of. Jesus' voice here is not one of do better. Just stop it. Why don't you change? 
His is a voice of gentle care that calls you out of the spiral over and over again as many times as it takes, however he needs to, not with shame, but with tenderness. My second daughter's name is Liliana. Why did we name her Liliana? Well, because four years ago, her pregnancy was, was riddled with anxiety. You see, when we found out we were pregnant with her, we realized she was our, our rainbow baby, the gift God gave us after we miscarried twins. He held on to us as we, as we worried and, and, and multiplied ultrasounds and, and, and checkups and, and check-ins just in case. It was the most nerve-wracking experience of, of, of our lives as we prayed that we would not lose another little one. So by the time we had God's gift in our hands, we had decided to name her Liliana because of this passage. Because of our anxiety. Because of the lilies of the field. Because we wanted to remember that God cares. That he does not abandon that he does not forsake. He doesn't just tell us to get it together. He is the one who keeps us together. Familia, in this life, on this earth, anxiety is normal. You are not alone if you are struggling with anxiety. But I will also say it is not life-giving. And you probably already know that. However normal it might be, it is not something that produces life. It is something that tries to take life until there's nothing left. How? By hijacking our attention and pointing us in the wrong direction. Anxiety draws our attention away from God and puts it on other things and other people, their possible scenarios. It, it draws us into a fog where we see ourselves differently than God sees us. Where we can't see, quite see who God really is. Where others are distorted into objects of fear rather than people to care for. Anxiety twists God's word to get us to hear, do not worry as fix yourself. Rather than, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen, familia. When Jesus tells us, do not worry, he is not saying, ignore the problem. Pretend that it's not happening. It's just going to go away. He is actually inviting us to invite him in. To a, 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 he is inviting us to a, a different way of life. From worry to trust. And he does that. By redirecting our attention. Let me show you. Look at the text. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Here's how Jesus redirects our attention from money as master to God as king. Don't focus on what you eat, drink, or wear so much that you turn basic necessities into unhealthy worry. Why? Because your life and your body are more than what sustains them. 
You see, part of the lie of our worry and our anxiety is that we overestimate the value of things like what we eat and drink and wear. We evaluate our lives and our bodies incorrectly. We reduce them to food and clothes when life and our bodies are so much more than that. And so Jesus explains by using two examples. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus' emphasis in this first example is on that final question. Are you not much more valuable than they are? You see, our worries and our anxieties, they do us a disservice because they preach a false gospel to us. They lie to us and say that we are not valuable to God. That we do not matter to him. That we need to figure it out ourselves. But as Jesus directs our eyes to the skies, he directs our vision past the birds to our Father in heaven, and he says... You matter way more than you think. And God sees you. He really and truly sees you. And he cares about you. So Jesus asks another question. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? You're worried, you're anxious, you're so caught up that you keep spiraling down and then you know it's not working. Worry cannot stretch your lifetime and, and anxiety will not change your circumstances. You see, Jesus' question is one of compassion as much as it is a question of reality. Not just stop it, you know it doesn't work, but do you see that it's not helping? That it cannot help because no matter how much it puffs itself up and tries to fill your mind and heart, anxiety cannot be the God that it wants to be. Only God controls time. And so as that question pierces our worry, Jesus redirects our attention a second time. He says, why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Look at the flowers, Jesus continues. They don't work as hard as you're working, and yet they are better clothed than the richest king you could ever think of. Jesus says, let me ask you something. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? This flower is temporary, but you, my love, are not. You are worth so much more than this temporary fire starter. God gave you your life, he gave you your body, and he loves you. Do you think that he has forgotten how he has made you? That you need to eat and drink and be clothed? Why do you worry? You know how I know Jesus is speaking here with compassion rather than condemnation? Because if we look at Jesus' life, like one commentator likes to say, his life was far from bird-like or lily-like. And yet he trusted God. God provided for him exactly what he needed to do, exactly what he came to do, save us. Jesus is not telling us not to worry as someone who doesn't know what it's like to live day to day, not sure where his next meal would come from. Jesus is also not telling us to stop working and wait for God to drop food in our mouths or make clothes appear. The, the birds still have to gather food and the lilies still need to grow roots to try to find water. He's also not telling us that we shouldn't care for others since God is already caring for them. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus explains that disciples, they feed, they clothe the poor as if they are feeding and clothing Jesus 
And the fact that we are commanded to care for others doesn't mean that God has been sleeping on the job. What Jesus is saying is that when you and I worry about all these things, when the pursuit of our necessities consume our entire life and choke out the life of the kingdom, we are focusing all of our attention in the wrong place. Our posture of worry minimizes our faith and tries to get our needs met in our own way and our own timing because who knows, God may or may not live up to his promises to care for us. I got to make sure I'm taken care of. You of little faith, Jesus says. Not with shame, but inviting us to trust. Do we trust that God is who he says he is? What do we do when worry and anxiety creep up and they tempt us away from trust? Well, Jesus continues, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans, they run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Letting that worry grow and fester and regain control is to live like who we no longer are, Jesus says. We are not pagans. We are not of the world anymore. We are children of the king. And so remember what Jesus said earlier in this chapter, earlier in the, in the sermon. Do not pray like the pagans because your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask. Don't let your worries build and convince you of something that's not true of your heavenly father. That he is somehow ignorant of your needs. That he doesn't care. You see, worry distorts the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray Worry forces our needs before God's kingdom because we're worried that he is not the king he says he is. But Jesus has called us to live differently, familia. He invites us to a different posture, a posture of trust that reflects the kind of peace that prays like Jesus taught us to pray. That, that, a posture of trust that, that seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that all these things, everything we need, will be given to us as well. What does that mean? It means we put his glory before our needs. It means we pray his kingdom come and his will be done. It means we actively pursue his will, his righteousness, demonstrating his good kingdom wherever he places us. For some of us here, it means that the way we obey Jesus' command not to worry is to actually ask for help. To open up and process what's happening in our head and our hearts with, with our, our life group or with one of the people that the Lord has placed here to love and serve as a shepherd, one of your pastors. For some of us, obeying Jesus' command not to worry may mean talking with a therapist and setting healthy boundaries with harmful people and even taking medication when it is necessary. You see, having clinical anxiety and requiring medication is not a lack of faith. It is not a sin. Yes, it is the result of the fall and it is dangerous to avoid getting help, but getting, seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness means we believe Jesus when he tells us that sin goes to the core of our being and distorts even our brain chemistry. That medication may not be the only solution, but it may be part of the solution for certain people to actually obey Jesus' command not to worry. Maybe. The way we obey Jesus' command not to worry and pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness is not by pretending we don't worry, but by bravely bringing worry and anxiety into his light, receiving all the ways that draw us back to Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness and admitting that we are not okay. Okay. 
Listen to what Jesus says in the final verse of our text. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, Jesus is not ignorant and he is not careless. He knows that there is trouble in this world and in our own hearts. The question is not whether or not there will be trouble, but whether or not we will trust him in it. Our fears are liars. Our worries are are multipliers trying to build anxiety in our life. But Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow because there's grace for each day. Grace to get through, not alone, but with Jesus. Not alone, but with his people. Not alone, but with the deep truth that your heavenly father sees and cares and knows what you need before you even ask. Familia, he has not abandoned you, even when it feels that way. Jesus himself on the cross cried out, why have you forsaken me? He knows what that feels like. And yet, God did not abandon him to the grave, but raised him back to life, that anyone who believes would not die in their sins, but find life true life in him, the life that is truly life. That is the the core of the gospel. We are not abandoned. God loved us so much that he sent his only son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. If he did that, why do you think he would uh, abandon you in your worries and your anxieties and your fears? Why do you think he would not provide for you day in and day out what you need? If we believe in Jesus... Jesus will take care of us. Jesus contrasts these two ways, and one of them leads to death, and one of them leads to life, and he is calling us to the only life-giving posture that there is. Trust in the God who did what he said he would do and made a way back to him. Not through our own efforts, but by his death and resurrection invites us into his kingdom. This is why, as we're going to sing in just a minute, it is truly sweet to trust in Jesus and rest in his promise. Because he has made good on his promise. This morning, will you trust in Jesus? And when I say that, I mean, will you take your worries, your anxieties to him, not in shame, but in hope, knowing that every step of the way he is with you. He is pointing you to the birds and to the lilies and to his cross, saying, look how much I love you. I will not abandon you. I will never forsake you. Because even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Familia, will you pray with me? Gentle, tender, loving, compassionate Jesus, this morning we lay our hearts before you. You have laid our hearts bare. You have exposed our loyalty and the lies we believe that lead us to worry and anxiety and a preoccupation with a a false gospel believing that you don't really care, that you are unaware. We listen to the serpent whisper again, did God really say? This morning, would you help our weak hearts to once again take you at your word and rest on your promises and respond to lies with the truth that, yes, God really did say he would care for me. May you give us grace to trust you more. And like the Father in the gospel cries out, Jesus, we believe. Would you help our unbelief? Help our worries, help our anxieties. Draw us to you in trust. 
From the posture of our lives to the purpose of our bank accounts to the treasures we pursue, we trust in you. Help us to trust you more. Help us to trust you daily. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.